This is Actualize Freedom, straight talk on growing clicks and conversions on Amazon FBA from people doing it every day. Now here's your host, digital marketing acrobat, Danny Kenji Carlson. What's up, guys? Danny Carlson here with the Actualize Freedom podcast, and we have a really interesting episode for you here. This is going to be all about wholesale. Uh, I know a lot of you guys are into private label, but we have Dan Metters here to tell us why wholesale is also a really interesting business model and why it might make sense to consider using wholesale as well as private label. You don't have to choose one over the other. It can be really complementary to an overall Amazon strategy. So welcome to the podcast, Dan. I like your name, by the way. Hey, you got a great, na- great name too, my friend. Glad to be on here. Excellent. Looking all professional with the, the crazy professional background and everything. Um, so let's start out with your story. Um, you, I haven't heard this story, but you mentioned really quickly to me, it was intriguing that you were abruptly forced to start this business here, which I always love, <laughs> I always love stories like this. So let's just dive into that first. Sure, man. So in 2011, I, uh, one, of my, one of my really good friends at, at the company we worked for uh, was telling me about selling on Amazon. And I I had, I had never sold anything on Amazon um, and, and honestly had no idea that it was an, uh, was a marketplace. Like I didn't know that third party sellers could even sell there. Um, in college, I had had a, an eBay store, but honestly, I just, I hated it. Like, even though it was pretty successful, um, I, I sold video games, like particularly vintage video games. And, uh, but the problem is, is like, you know, whenever you get a ton of orders, you have to ship a ton of orders. You have to pack, you have to do all those things. And it was just so tedious and awful that I was like, yeah, that sounds, no, no, man, I'm good. And uh, it it was like probably about, you know, maybe three or four months after that, that he came in and gave his notice. And we are like, we, we live in Kentucky. There's just not a lot going on. So, you know, this guy had a six figure plus salary and, you know, in, in our area, honestly, there's just not you know, those jobs aren't available. So I, I asked him, I was like, Hey man, what do you, what do you, what are you going to do? And he said, uh, no, I'm just making way more money on Amazon right now. And I'd rather just do that full time. And that, that's kind of like really, really opened our eyes. And he, he, he said he would show us what he was doing. And at the time he was using a model called retail arbitrage, where that's, that's where you walk into a store, you, you buy things off of a shelf and then you sell them for a higher price online. And it, it, like it was completely mind blowing. Like, you know, the first item I look at that, that he said like, Hey, this is a really good one. And, uh, uh, you know, it's $2 and 87 cents in the store and it was $16 on Amazon. And I was like, there's just no way that people pay $16 for this. And he was like, yeah, man, I promise. Like it's, it's crazy. So we bought like I, me and me and one of my other buddies, Eric, we just bought all of them because you know what it is like 30 bucks or 40 bucks. And, uh, opened our Amazon account that night, sent them in and, and lo and behold, they, they all sold and we were just flabbergasted. And that kind of started us down the path of, of, of wanting to just learn more about the model and, and do it religiously. So like when we would get off work, we would go out and we would shop um, on the weekends, we would go out and shop and just ship everything back in. And it's like, it, it's kind of funny because we, you know, we were, we were sitting there picking stickers off stuff and all that, all that. And, uh, was just so happy that it was working. Like, you know, even though we had, but we both had pretty good jobs and, uh, we, we definitely had not, we weren't making the the same amount of money from, from Amazon that, that we were from our jobs. Like it was still more rewarding, like, cause it was money that we were just generating. And, 
so kind of like fast forward from July to uh, to December. In December, we ended up doing fifty thousand dollars in sales, and uh, also in December, it, it was pretty awkward that. Uh, like three days before Christmas, my, my boss came and, and told me I was, I, I, he was going to be letting me go. And it was, it was like that, that uh, immediately terrified feeling. Like I had a, you know, I had a brand new baby girl. Um, uh, I, I had, I, it's crazy. Cause like, I, even though I had a great job, like I didn't have a lot of money in the bank. Um, we had replaced the roof on our house. We had, you know, I'd paid off my wife's student loans and all these things. So like I had maybe three or $4,000 in the bank at the time when I'd lost, uh, when I lost my job. And I went, I remember going to, to the, to my down, like I had this little downtown office so we wouldn't have to take all the crap back to, to our house to ship it. And, and instead could just, you know, ship it out of there and not you know, make my wife angry. And, uh, I, I went there and I, I like, I, I, I cried for a while and I tried to figure out what I was going to tell her. Uh, tell my wife and then I decided it's like yeah I'm just going to tell her I quit like this is a great idea I'm just going to tell her I quit and because uh, I, was, I was you know I was, I was super ashamed that I'd been fired and I remember I went home and I was like I was like yeah I'm super excited you know I just the Amazon thing's going nuts right now and uh, yeah I gave my uh, you know I just quit today and she was like you should you should definitely not do that you should go get your job back right now and uh, I, you know, I obviously couldn't. So, <laughs> um, so we, we we just kept moving forward with with Amazon. And that first year, we did about eight hundred and sixty thousand dollars in sales, uh, literally working ourselves to death. I mean, on, on the road, everywhere, uh, driving around, buying stuff. And uh, you know, it's pretty liberating. Like our, our margins were really good. Um, we probably did uh, two hundred, two hundred fifty in profit. We did paid ourselves pretty minimally, but. Um, and it pumped a lot back into the company. And then the second year we decided we were just going to like go all out um, and just shop all the time. And we were, our, our obviously, our, obviously our goal was to, to grow enough capital to be able to, to, to kind of get ourselves off the road, jettison into another model. Um, but even though like we put in all this extra effort, we, we only made an extra $80,000 and uh, the the second year that you did it, it was yeah, an extra we, eighty thousand dollars for the whole year. Yeah, and, and I mean, yeah. we we were working like seventy hour weeks, so it was uh, it, it was just awful. Um, and it was like it, that was the point where we we started deciding we were going to experiment. It was like it was one. It was the um, Thanksgiving. Uh, like I was at I was at Thanksgiving dinner, getting ready to leave to go shopping, and my little girls were like, you know, I'm sitting there looking, and it's just. Ah, gosh, like it's the biggest shopping day of the year. We have to go out. And like the year before when we went out, we're like super excited and pumped up. And that time, like, because, you know, we had been uh, like, you know, it had been all year long that we had it had been going through kind of this thing. And uh, like I, I, the whole time, all we did was talk about how we'd just rather be home with, with our families and, and hanging out with our kids and stuff like that. And uh, so when we got back, we decided we were going to like try some, try some other stuff. The first thing we tried was a retail store, which is a terrible idea. And uh, that, that ultimately failed and we sold it. Um, we created a website that sold My Little Pony collectibles. Um, and that actually didn't do too bad. <laughs> what was the name of the website? I'm too curious. It's uh, got to be an awesome name you came uh, up with. TheMLPSource.com. And it's still alive. Like the, We actually sold it to, <laughs> to another guy, and, uh, and he still operates it. So, it, it, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a complete bust. Like, we didn't make any real money, but... Um, 
and then uh, and then you know but, but our goal was it's like i don't want to be on the road shopping 70 hours a week i like i want to be able to have things coming to me i want to be able to uh to, to to actually own a business not just have a, a job for myself and uh, so that's whenever we just we decided to start experimenting with private label we had uh our very like our very very first product was incredibly successful and uh we probably we probably made about 200 or 225 thousand dollars in profit in that first uh first like three or four month stretch with private label and then uh eventually you know, we when we started trying to grow it and replicate that, we, we just couldn't do it. Like, it, it just felt like it was like one of those one-off things. We, we made three or four other products, lost money, um, and, and kind of just lost confidence. And it wasn't lost confidence in the model. Like, I knew Private Label was an amazing model for the people that knew how to do it. Uh, but it, it, it shook our confidence and our ability to, to be able to do the model. And... Uh, so we were, at, at that point, we we were pretty je- dejected. I mean, we we'd failed, you know, at, at several different models. It, it looked like the only way we were going to to make money was was continue to work ourselves to death. And that's kind of when we found wholesale. And uh, you know, it started out rocky for us. Like we we really didn't know what we were doing there either. And uh, we we you know, I think we took all the traditional routes. Like we went to Google and was like, you know, how how would one go about wholesale? And uh, like everything we found uh, pointed us in the direction of distributors and like, you know, your, your liquidators and stuff like that. We, we went and tried and we would get these gigantic catalogs of crap back and, and just go through and find nothing. And, you know, hours and hours on end looking through these things and finding nothing that, that you could make money with. And I, I remember I looked over at my business partner, Eric, one day and I was like, this is you know beyond annoying. Like we had went to ASD, we had just lost a bunch of money there because we bought products that that you know by the time we got home, they they were just worthless. And uh, so, like I was like, I just want to carry this one one single product, like this product. And I, it's like I don't know which distributor or who, you know, who I have to contact to be able to carry this. And Eric was like, well, maybe we should just call the manufacturer, call the call the company who owns it, and ask them where to buy it. So. You know that that was obviously the answer, right? Like all along, that was the, that was the answer. Is you just talk to people, and you can probably find better ways to source products. But every and instead t- of Google and all these all these marketplaces that everyone has access to, right? You right. literally call the people direct to the source. Exactly, and you know it seems it seems incredibly simple. And but but everything we had read pointed us in the other direction. And so I called this very first brand, and uh, I, I told I th- you know I told them the. Uh, that I'd like to carry their products and ask where I would buy it. And they were like, well, we sell direct, man. Like we'd happy be happy to set you up an account and get an order. And I was like, wow, this is it's almost too easy. How much is that order? And they said that, that the minimum opening order was 250 bucks. So we, we ended up placing an order. It, it went really successfully. And that was the, that was the thing that like kickstarted the, the growth of our company because it, it gave us at least a direction to, to point in. Um, so we did that over the next few months, just reached out, reaching out to brands. And then like we encountered this new hurdle that, that just kept happening. Like every time we would contact somebody, they would tell us that they didn't want to work with us and that, you know, they, they already had enough Amazon sellers. They weren't looking for more. And that was, that was incredibly frustrating because it's, it, you know, all these are the products that look like what they would be able to make money. And it's like, you know, why, why doesn't anybody want to work with me? I'd love to, I'd love to carry these products. And, and that's kind of like that self-realization thing, right? Is like, 
it, I don't know what caused me to think about it, but, but it was, it's, yeah, I'm just doing everything. I'm doing the same thing everybody else is. I'm not bringing anything extra. I'm not helping them in any fashion. Like the fact of the matter is that these companies have people lining up to pay them. Like the fact that I'm willing to pay them isn't a service uh, to them. It's a service to me if they work with me. And, and once I had that kind of like realization that, that the way to, you know, uh, to, to start working with people would be to add some level of value that the game really changed for us. I remember I called this one brand and this was like really soon after that. And it was a, it was a really good product, it, you know, and, and I'd emailed them and they, their email was like, Hey man, uh, yeah, you know, we're not interested in any other Amazon sellers. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to call this guy. Cause I, it was actually a product that I used at the time too. And, uh, was, and, and, and did like it. So I, I got, you know, I, I got him on the phone and, um, it's funny cause I still remember his name is Bob. You know, this, this conversation was four, four years ago or something. And, uh, so I was like, Hey, Hey Bob, you know, I'd sent you guys an email about carrying your products and you told me you guys weren't looking for any other Amazon sellers. And he was like, and I meant it. And I was like, wow, you know, cause it's, you're, you're just wanting to have a conversation. The guy like meets it with, meets it with fire. And I was like, no, I definitely understand. And, uh, but, but, you know, I would love, I'd love to talk to you about your Amazon presence a little bit. If, if you got a few minutes and he was like, yeah, you know, sure. So I, I got him to go to his page and we're sitting here going through his page. And, and I was like, you know, why, why do you feel like you don't need any other Amazon sellers? And he was like, I have, you know, I have Etails working with me. I have River Colony Trading and some other monster that does like over a hundred million dollars a year. And he was like, so I, I have the best Amazon sellers. And I was like, cool, man. No, I definitely, you know, I definitely appreciate those. Appreciate that. Those guys are amazing. Um, so when we get to his page and we see his listing, he has one picture. He has a subpar title. He has bullets. And he didn't know this. Like, you know, it, to him, his listing was normal. Like, it was just, you know, that, that's what it, that's what an Amazon listing looks like. And I was like, do you, do you care to open up another page, man? And I'll take you over and show you your competitor's listing. And, you know, I knew who the competitor was because I, I actually used the product. And I get him over there and he sees that their listing looks great. It's, you know, full title, uh, you know, full set of pictures, great bullet points that talk about the product description and all that, all the things that make a product sell on Amazon. And I was like, all right, so, you know, your, you know, your product is, is better than theirs. And I know your product's better than theirs. And I was like, but if you were, if you were just your average consumer, which one would you buy? And he was like, I, I would buy the competitor's product, not close. I was like, exactly. I was like, so, so you realize that you guys are losing a ton of business by not fixing this. Right. And you, while you have the best Amazon sellers in the world work, working for you, you know, they're not taking the time to do it. That's this, these problems still exist. And, uh, that was uh, like, I, I, I talked to him and I was just like, man, you know what? I, like I, you know, uh, whenever you work with those guys, you are, you, you're just another account. You're, you're one of a thousand people they work with and some rep, you know, that you're, you're, you're some reps responsibility um, with us. Like if, if you decide to work with me, like I don't have a big giant team, I, I, it's me and my business partner, but this is my cell phone number. And I promise you, you're never going to have to wonder if these things are going to be fixed again. Like that's, that's the difference. It's like, you can take this information to those sellers right now. And I'm sure they can have somebody on staff that can probably get it fixed in, in 15 or 20 minutes, but they didn't do it. And they didn't do it proactively. Like, do you want to be in the position that every time you need something done that you have to know it so you can ask them to do it? Or do you just want to have some guy that wants to get it done because you're the most important, important client that he has. And he was like, no, I would love to work with you, man. And, and that was the, 
it was like after that conversation, it, it, it was kind of crazy because I felt like I, I felt like I performed well above, uh, well above my capabilities at the time. Like I didn't, you know, I didn't know what, uh, what I was doing to add value specifically. I didn't, that my sales, like as, as far as being a sales pitch, it was actually terrible, you know, but I did one thing and I actually helped the guy understand his problem. And by doing that, it, it, it made him want to work with us. So that was our leverage over the next year is like we, you know, we would contact brands and we would just try to do our best to provide tons of value and actually help them rather than just place an order. And for, in that yeah, year, I love that strategy there because you're coming in there, you're just providing a whole bunch of value regardless of whether or not they want to work with you. Right. You're not being like, hey, like we can potentially provide you a lot of value if you want to work with us. You're going in there and you're telling them exactly all of the things that they're doing wrong. And that's value they could potentially just do themselves. But because you're the person who brings them that knowledge and that value, you are now by default the only person who has the real solutions to the, the problems you just brought up. Right? Exactly. Yeah, it's I mean, actually a really genius strategy. Yeah. I mean, at that point, you're the most knowledgeable person they know on the subject, whether you are or not. Yeah. I mean, you're the, you're the person that took the step to actually bring them the information. Um, but in that year, that was the year, like, uh, we really did double down and just start contacting brands, utilizing that strategy. And our business went from 1.2 million to 3.6 million that year. Um, just by doing that, just by contacting brands, um, and, and providing, providing value ultimately. And, and another thing had happened, right? Like now that we are, have moved to wholesale, we have products starting to come to us, uh, like our, our workload had started dropping. Like though, so instead of working, you know, 70, 80 hour weeks, like I'm, I'm down to the, you know, thir the third, I'll call it the, the 30 to 50 hour weeks more towards the 50, like, you, you know, the, the typical entrepreneur stuff. And uh, so it was, it was getting better, but it wasn't there yet. And that was where, our, that was where we made another, another big jump. And it was, it was focusing on SOPs and processes. Like we started building SOPs into our business. We started building processes into our business and leveraging those to train employees. Like we hired, uh, you know, it was funny. We hired our first two employees and we couldn't even really afford them at the time, but we knew that they would, we, like, we knew that they would be able to create the bandwidth, uh, for, for us to grow. So we, we stretched ourselves thin. we hired the employees, we indoctrinated them into the processes and immediately started getting results. Um, and, and the other thing that happened is as, as, as we were getting those results, our hours were declining. Like our employees were able to take over those, take over a lot of the things that we were doing. We were slowly firing ourselves from every position in our business. Um, what were the roles for those first two employees? Uh, we actually had one guy who, at the time, we we still had our uh, in inside like a internal warehouse, um, which we we don't have anymore. We we utilize a third party prep center now, uh, but we had one guy that was packing and shipping orders, and one guy who was researching brands and contacting the uh, brand owners. So, you know, the, and those were the those were the jobs at the time that that we were primarily doing. So it was like. Uh, I was, I was on the phone list with vendors, but I was, I was still doing it. I was like in there coaching and listening to his calls, talking to him about it and, and making him, uh, or helping him get better. But ultimately, uh, a lot of those jobs were just starting to be done outside of us. And over the next, uh, like over the next couple of years with, by building processes into our business, we were ultimately able to, at this point, like if, if you look now, I, I actually don't have a day-to-day -day responsibility in our Amazon business. Like, you know, we, our, our, um, 
we, me and the, me and my other partner were gone uh, for two weeks earlier this year, had no hiccups, never even uh, like had a, had a call from our employees or anything like that. Like it's uh, literally no, no day-to-day responsibilities, but it's, it, it, but it's something that, that we, I don't think we could have accomplished if, if we didn't do the, do the footwork of putting in processes and things like that. What's up, Freedom Actualizers? So I'm recording this after this podcast episode has already ended, but this information was so valuable from Dan that I have got him to agree to create a webinar just for you guys that goes deeper into his strategies when it comes to Amazon Wholesale. So he goes into a lot of the stuff that he's mentioning here, a lot of the strategies, but actually step-by-step, what are his processes and his frameworks for going through the strategies. So if you guys want to sign up for that and go to go.kenjiroi.com slash wholesale. So that's go.kenjiroi.com slash wholesale. And you guys can register for the webinar there. It's going to be a good one. Dan is a killer. And so I want to ask you, where did you find the information or the resources needed to create those systems and the processes? Like one resource I've mentioned to the audience before is a book called Clockwork by Mike Michalowicz that just really walks through you know, how to systematize your business with the end goal of really being able to step away from your business for an entire month and not even answer one single email and have everything still work properly. So I'm wondering, where did you learn how to systematize your business? It was actually at a conference. We were, we, we went, we went to some, one of the Amazon conferences. Um, and one of the, one of the speakers there had recently sold his business. And he talked about the most valuable thing in his business at the time were, were the standard operating procedures. And ultimately that was what helped him escape, uh, escape the day-to-day, his day-to-day role in it. And after, after, after he had spoke, I actually just went up and talked to him and got more information on standard operating procedures and things like that. But the, it was kind of funny that the, the real way that we did it was, uh, was what I would think is, is, is pretty effective. Uh, um, so once we understood what what you know a standard operating procedure was was what it was for, um, the way we started going about it is at the time you know we were doing all these jobs in our business. So before I would do a process, I would just think about and write down, you know the the steps I would take to do the process, and then I would run through it a couple of times to make sure that that was exactly how I wanted it, and then I would I would record a short video of me doing and explaining the process, have my employees rewrite the process, do it. And if it worked and, and uh, you know, achieve the result that we were looking for, that became the process in the business. So it was like the fastest way for, for us to, do, to make processes was to just do it and, and record ourselves and then forward it, forward it on to the employees and let them do it. I love that. Yeah, you're actually getting your employees to rewrite the process and really flesh it out, right? So like if you're just creating a little screen capture video of you doing it the first time, then your employee can watch that video use it to learn the process and then actually write it out, maybe add a little bit more detail themselves, right? Rather than you Absolutely. spending a million years just making this perfect document that's got all these screenshots and, and all the steps all fleshed out and laid out, right? Right. And then, and, and then the easy part is, you know, once, they, <clears throat> once they've done that, once they've walked through that process, right? Like you, you go back, you see what the results were, you see if they did everything correctly. And if, if it works, you, you never have to do it again. That's a process that you now have. Um, so we did that through every aspect of our businesses. The, the first, the first thing we did is is really focused on segmentation. Is you know, uh, for us, we realized that that you know, 
departments are almost individually contained, right? Like you, in most instances, in most instances that you own a business, you're not going to have somebody that does uh, A to Z, all the tasks A to Z. Like if you want to create a more effective business, you have to have it segmentized to where people are working on something similar on a daily basis. Um, that, that not only lets them, it, you know, from our perspective, it not only lets them learn the process better, but it, it, unless it lets them become almost an expert of their, uh, of their field, if you've got dedicated employees. So, um, the first thing we did is, is, is that we, we focused on segmentation and broke down the, the different components of the business that had to occur for us to make money and, and continue operating. And for us, that was scouting, um, then sourcing and then selling like, and when I say selling, you know, that's obvious. It's like, yeah, you sell your items. But for us, it was the, the components that take part at, after the sale, particularly like viewing stock levels, um, reordering and things like that to continue the, the sales cycle. So once we had once we had segment segmented part of our business, like it was just go through and, you know, what are all the steps related to properly scouting a product? And we would detail those and, and create the SOPs. Yeah. Um, and so at this point, this is kind of where you are now, where you have a, a business where you don't technically have to operate the business at all, right? And you can just focus on strategies for growth and improving systems and maybe hiring more key employees or something like that. Like, so what does the day-to-day of Dan Metters look like in your current wholesale business? Uh, I, like I said, I don't have any, any day-to-day roles uh, as far as like obligations, um, but it's, it's, it's the vast majority of it's just coaching. And that's like our employees are, you know, they independently are able to analyze products, make purchases without like, you know, we don't require um, uh, us to sign off or anything like that. Like that's, that's the beauty of our system is everything is, is pretty paint by numbers, right? Like they're not having to make individual decisions that are, that are subjective. Like whenever we saw, whenever we're scouting products, like our products, if they meet these criteria, it's a, it's a product that we want to carry and they either, they either meet it or they don't, it's really black and white. So whenever you remove all the subjectivity out of your business, it makes their jobs really, really simple. Um, and, and whenever there's the corner case scenarios, that's kind of where I come in. Or if it's, you know, if they're, if they're focusing on trying to develop a better relation here and they want strategic advice, like, you know, what, you know, here's kind of the situation we're working with. What should I do from here? And that's that's my role in the business is to to advise them in those instances. But as far as like your your standard nuts and bolts operation, like nothing. That's a beautiful thing. And for people listening who they sell a private label and you know they're they're making some money doing that, and maybe they're doing pretty well, and they've heard about wholesale. Tell them what they would need really to get started. Is there a certain certain money amount, a certain a certain amount of time they should be dedicating to this? Just give us a little rundown for something like that. Sure, sure. No, I mean it, private label is that there's there's a beautiful thing about private label sellers, and it is that they're by far the most skilled sellers on Amazon, right? They they have to be by nature, and that's you know they have to bring a product to market, they have to introduce traffic, they have to. Uh, make that product ultimately sell when it had no following before. So it, that in and of itself takes more skill than, than finding a product that's already selling and, and, and just tapping into the, uh, uh, the existing traffic or existing fan base. So that's, that's the first thing you have to realize is, is as a private label, as a private label seller, your skills are coveted. Um, but with wholesale, it's just such an easy thing to, to, to mix in. Like we have, very similar scouting methods to the way in the ways that we find product. Um, 
to, to private label. And like, here's the thing is like, you guys are going through all these products and you're determining, you know, you're looking for your gap and that's it. But all the products that you're passing through to get there are all wholesale opportunities. Now for us, the difference is, is, you know, like it, the, the logistics behind private labels pretty complicated. Like you have to do, um, you, you know, you, you go, you go overseas, you order your product, you have to have it boated over or air, air freighted over. And it's just, it's just a longer process for us. Whenever we find a product on that, that's a good candidate for us, we contact the brand, set up the account and generally have the product in our, uh, in our account within a week. And then reorders are also that simple because like everything we handle is domestic. We're, we're just representing domestic, domestic brands. So it, whenever you think about the brands that we're contacting and the strategies I was talking about earlier, where, you know, adding value is a, is, is a critical component. Like that's the, that's the differentiator in being successful in our model and not is just being able to, um, being able to help brands or, or, or take the time to educate them at least. Now, private label sellers do that better than anybody else. So they tend to convert the best because they, they're able to offer a lot of those skills that, that the brands are looking for. So I think, it, you know, as far as you know, private label, I think there's a lot of overlap. And I think a lot of those sellers are just inherently good at the model that we do because of their, because of the skills they've developed to become good private label sellers. So I think it, I think it can be a, a just a, a really good cash flow boon to their existing business and, and kind of fill gaps, um, fill gaps in their, in their potential product lines if they're trying to move away from Amazon as well. Cause I know that's a lot of things, right? It's like once you're a successful private label seller and you're, you're starting to generate money, what's the first thing you want to do? And it's, it's develop your audience outside, right? Like develop that mailing list and, and all the cool components that go with it. This is a wholesale provides a way to fill a store up uh, with, with profitable products that you can, you can also be selling on Amazon too. Without really taxing any of your, um, any of your bandwidth, because like everything we do is is systemized. So, you know, I this is this is like you know who scouts our products. It's a virtual assistant. Like you know, we we have virtual assistants that that find products for us, and then we re reach out to the brands and establish those. With that, like it's just something that easily integrates into the private label system. I feel like. Yeah, I like what you said there about filling in the gaps. Um, you mentioned that when you're doing your product research, you're probably going over a bunch of products that would be really good for wholesale as well. So if you're a private label seller and you already have yourself or a bunch of team members spending quite a bit of time on product research, um, why not just make a better use of that product research time and get some wholesale products going on, right? Um, right, it's really good for cash. Like the, the, it's really good for your cash flow. That's the other point is, is typically if you look at your, your a private labeler's model, they have those big dips and that's where they're having to place their orders and they, they have the gap before the product lands. Well, wholesale has a much smaller gap, so it's really good at feeding your cash flow in, in those dead periods as well. Yeah, and, and so let's get a, a bit of an overview of, of kind of the, how the model works. Like typically what kind of profit margins are you looking for in a good wholesale product? Um, you know, what are, what are the minimum orders gonna be like? Um, sure. Just so people can get an idea of if this is gonna work for them or not. Sure. Uh, so like I mentioned earlier, it's, it's, you know, $250 was that minimum order for that first account we picked up. The most common numbers that we see are 250 to $500. Like occasionally you only encounter the crazy one that that's really high, but those are so few and far between that it, it's almost non-existent. So really 250 to 500 bucks is a, is a pretty good expectation for what a minimum order would be like to, to get started with wholesale. 
our suggestion is you probably need about $2,000 in capital to be buying products. And that's enough to, to place multiple minimum orders as well as like go above and beyond a minimum order for a discount. Um, so it's, you know, it is a, it's a easy, it's, it's a relatively easy and cheap model to get into. The one thing you do have to have if you are a U.S. resident is you would need a um, resale certificate from your state. And, and that requires you to, to be a registered business. And it's like a driver's license for, for wholesalers, right? It's like the, the thing that they ask for to make sure that you're a business as opposed to just a dude trying to get discounts. Yeah, absolutely. And then from there, it's, it sounds like a pretty low barrier to entry. The difficult thing really is finding the right products and then actually, yeah. you know, that sales process of convincing these companies that um, they should be wholesaling to you instead of, you know, wholesaling to sure. the other Amazon sellers or maybe even themselves on Amazon, right? And um, is that something that you have a good, well-defined process for? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, that's the, uh, you'd, you'd also mentioned about profit margin, like what, what kind of uh, expectations for profit margins. Like typical, typical what, we, what we look for is we look for uh, 30% ROI or better. But what we've noticed is, you know, once we once we start working with a brand and developing our relationship, that our margins get better over time. Like if you look at our current in, in our business, our current net margins are around twenty four percent, which is you know, pretty strong. Um, but it's, you know, it you know, from that perspective, it, like I, I feel like that a lot of your margin is relationship driven, so they tend to be smaller on the front end, maybe. Uh, more, more in the 15 to 15 to 18% range that I think is, is pretty achievable early. Um, you'd asked, uh, you'd asked another question about, um, uh, what, what was your, what was your next question? I, I got, I, I'd, I'd remembered I'd missed, missed the margin. Thing. Yeah. Just, uh, some kind of tips about creating these relationships with these suppliers. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Um, well, I can give you a, I can give you some several tips about finding products as well. Like the, you know, just kind of like some baseline criteria that we're looking for, for, for successful products. Like the first criteria that we care about is that, uh, Amazon doesn't carry the product. Now th there are a couple of reasons that, that we care there is number one, Amazon's high, like hyper competitive, right? So like if you try to get a, if you try to get under them, then they'll follow you down and, and ultimately drive the price down. Uh, the second, the second reason is that whenever Amazon comes onto a listing, their retail team locks the listing to changes and makes it much, much harder to get changes pushed through. So like, I can't offer the value to the, to the companies that I've, I'm talking to. And what we've realized is, you know, if you're not offering value, you're not doing something extra, then you're, you're just a, you're, you're an ex expendable piece. Like we had built our business around just, you know, buying and selling products initially. And what ultimately what happened is, is we lost some key accounts and it really, really hurt us. But how do you not lose those? And that's through relationships and that's by providing value and them actually wanting and needing to work with you. So having Amazon on the listing prevents that. The next thing that we look for though, <clears throat> is we want a lot of products that are carried by three or more sellers. Like I don't want to be reaching out to private label sellers and it's not because I don't think I can help them necessarily. It's just, you know, whenever they created their product, they created it with the idea that they were going to be the retailer. In that instance, our, our interests don't align, and, and uh, in, you know, in, in an instant or as a way to save time, like we just focus on brands with three or more sellers. Uh, then the last criteria, like for for kind of like a simple criteria to get started, is we like products that sell more than forty times a month. And the reason for that is, it, you know, whenever we got started, we we didn't have a lot of money, and we didn't have a lot, particularly a lot of skills at, at driving traffic. 
So we didn't want products where uh, that they, they could just potentially sit and die. Like I needed, I, you know, I, I knew my limitations as a seller. So I need, I needed products that were already selling. And, but ultimately what that does is it, it keeps your, it, it will help you. It will help you run a healthy business. If you focus on buying products that are already selling and have an established floor. Um, so those are like our, our three little uh, criteria, but as far as, as far as, you know, like advice for like people that, that are wanting to get started, particularly if they come from the private label background is find products that look like they would be a good fit. Um, and, and here's another, here's another big tip is if you've heard of the brand, it's probably too big. Like, you know, think about it from this perspective. Let's say you contact Nike and you're like, and you're like, Hey guys, you know, I, I, I see a, a lot of deficiencies on your listings and, and could correct this. And I could probably raise your sales a half a million dollars. Well, Nike doesn't care about a half a million dollars. Like, you know, that, that's not going to make a big difference to their company, but to, to a lot of the smaller brands, like if you're able to contact them and establish those relationships, um, that you can, you know, a, a half a million dollars change in their, in their Amazon sales would really register and, and be able to be a massive boon to their bottom line. So that's another, uh, an, you know, another point of focus would be to focus on small brands. And then, it, you know, just like as far as how to convert them, focus, educate them. Like it's, it, you know, tell them what they're doing wrong. Tell them, uh, uh, you know, tell them how you could fix it. And that is the, that, that's the way to start getting in the door to, to setting up these wholesale relationships. I love that. And you've really laid it out for people. It's, um, it's something that a lot of people, they know that it's a great model, but it can be very difficult, right? There's a lot of information out there that quite honestly is really bad. Um, I think you mentioned some of that when <laughs> yeah. you're starting out in wholesale, you're following some of that advice and it just doesn't really work. Um, and it's unfortunate a lot of people really get turned off to it. So what you just mentioned was really, really valuable. And Sure, if people sure. want to to learn more about wholesale, I know obviously you have the wholesale formula. Is um, where's the best place for them to to learn more about what you do and uh, potentially reach out to you if they wanted to do that? Yeah, we have well, actually. I said I set up a page just for your guys, uh, just for your your people, man. Um, just go to the wholesaleformula.com forward slash actualize freedom, and that is a uh, that's that's a special PDF that we created that just gives you like that 30,000 foot overview of our business model and just breaks down step by step. So people can understand what it, what, what we actually do. Uh, I felt like that's probably the best way is, you know, the, there are so many misconceptions with the model that I, I, I think that, you know, the people that are potentially interested may, may not, may not jump on because of those, because of those misconceptions. I know that it cost me a lot of time. Like my first thoughts about wholesale before we got started were that, you know, you would have to, you would have to take gigantic orders and, uh, for stuff like, you know, we, we assume that you would have to have $30,000 minimum orders and things like that. And that's just not the case. Like the fact of the matter is, is like the, the vast majority of accounts you set up are 250 to 500 bucks. So it's, it is not very hard to get started. And then, you know, it, it's, that's, that's what the purpose of that PDF really is. is it's, it's to show people that it is something that literally anybody can do if they want to. I love that, guys. So, again, that's wholesaleformula.com slash actualizefreedom. Awesome. Just for you guys. Just thinking of us. Dan's thinking of us, guys. <laughs> awesome. Well, this has been super, super valuable. Um, and if you're open to it, Dan, I'd love to get you on for a webinar at some point that maybe would be going over um, 
you know, how wholesale could fit into the strategy of a private label seller. Um, For sure, if, man. if that's something you'd be interested in doing, I know the audience would love something like that. So definitely would love to have you on. Yeah, absolutely. That would be, that'd be fantastic. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for your time. Um, lots of good golden nuggets in this one. And guys, if you haven't already, please go leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. Uh, it better be five stars, though, or else um, I'm probably going to look up your address on Google and like send like a glitter bomb or something like that. I'm going to do something really <laughs> nasty if it's not five stars. So watch out for that. And the show notes are on actualizedfreedom.com. And again, that was uh, wholesaleformula.com slash actualizedfreedom for Dan's special little goodies for us. So Thanks for listening, guys, and until next time, take care. What's up, Freedom Actualizers? So I'm recording this after this podcast episode has already ended, but this information was so valuable from Dan that I have got him to agree to create a webinar just for you guys that goes deeper into his strategies when it comes to Amazon Wholesale. So he goes into a lot of the stuff that he's mentioning here, a lot of the strategies, but actually step-by-step what are his processes and his frameworks for going through the strategies. So if you guys want to sign up for that, then go to go.kenjiroi.com slash wholesale. So that's go.kenjiroi.com slash wholesale. And you guys can register for the webinar there. It's going to be a good one. Dan is a killer. For show notes and resources mentioned in this episode, visit KenjiROI.com.